And my advice is go all in, whether that's a full-time thing with full-time energy and full-time effort or a part-time thing. I think we're in a culture that's just scared. People are scared to fail. And when you're scared of everything, you're scared to live. My honest advice, like life is scary. Very few things are certain and are guaranteed. A lot of people are going to think that you've got a bad idea, but you're never going to know unless you try, you go all in, you take a bet on yourself. So I think as soon as you know that the thing that you're doing is something you're passionate about and it's something that can have legs, like financially it can work, like let's go for it. Let's do it, Jared. Here at Kajabi, we're known for one thing, helping everyday people like you build successful businesses online. With our simple all-in-one platform, we've paved the way for over 100,000 people to create 300,000 products and collectively earn over $3.9 billion in revenue. And the Creators Playbook podcast is here to inspire, educate, and empower you to do the same. So unlike other podcasts that highlight the glory stories of today's most successful entrepreneurs, we're bringing you the real stories from real people who've created real success to give you the advice and playbook you need to succeed in today's digital marketplace. So if you're someone who's looking to start an online business, then allow us to be the first to welcome you home to the Kajabi family. Welcome to the Creators Playbook Podcast, where we talk to leading creators and entrepreneurs about the strategies and tactics they use to build successful online businesses. I'm Jared Lohman, VP of Customer Experience, and today I'm joined by Spencer Russell, founder of Toddlers Can Read. Spencer has generated over a million dollars and probably more importantly, in my opinion, helped thousands of families uh, to help their toddlers learn to read. So I'm really excited to jump in this. He's done most of this or he's, he has attributed a lot of his experience success to his social following. So he's going to share some of the tips and tactics that he's used to develop his followings into the seven figures. So let's jump right into this. Spencer, how's it going? Going great, Jared. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Excited to have you here. Um, I just kind of spoiled your whole intro, but uh, give us just in elevator pitch format who you are and what you do in your own words. Of course. The shortest version of this is I help parents teach their kids how to read. My business is named Toddlers Can Read, but I don't work exclusively with parents of toddlers. I work with anyone who wants to help teach their kid how to read. So this is people who are, have a young child. They're trying to help them get ahead. Or more often, they're just trying to explore their kid's interest in letters and books. Or parents of older children who are struggling, who are in school, they feel behind in helping them catch up and build that confidence in their ability to read. I have online courses, which I host in Kajabi, which parents take asynchronously on their time, on their schedule to learn how to teach the kid. So it's a beautiful system because I don't teach any of the kids directly. I just work with kids to shoot the videos that parents can watch so they know how to support their kids. And the business started kind of focused on toddlers, but it's really expanded to anyone who wants to help their kid. I love it. And when I was looking through your website ahead of time, um, one of the things that stood out to me is uh, just digging into the topic here. You you know how... Toddlers can probably read even earlier than one might expect. And so did you start by specializing as a like an early uh, reading program or how did you how did you settle on just the toddler age? So wonderful question. I taught kindergarten and first grade. So my experience teaching kids to read was in the five to seven year old age range. And what you see there is there's certain strategies that work really, really well, certain strategies that don't work well. 
So when you're able to narrow down to a couple sounds at a time, kids can learn them quickly. When you're tracking the kids' data day after day, working in small groups, kids learn really, really quickly. So I came into parenting with this body of knowledge of how to teach reading really, really well. And when we had my son, my partner is also a teacher. One of the first decisions that we made, even before he was born, was he's going to be an early reader because we saw the difference it made in our kindergartners when they knew how to read versus when they didn't. And so when he turned, it was right about 18 months. I was like, let's just give it a shot. Let's just see. And by about two years old, that's when the pandemic hit. He turned two in March of 2020. I I had the time. I had the energy. I'd already decided I'm going to teach him how to read. And I figured I might as well try all this stuff I had learned as a teacher and see how it works with my son. And turns out it worked really, really well. So I can't tell you, you know, exactly when every single kid can learn how to read because every kid is different. But you're right. What I have found in my work and now working with thousands, tens of thousands of parents, kids can learn a lot sooner than we think. Does it have to be hard? Doesn't have to be stressful. Doesn't have to be drill and kill. If you watch my videos, parents are playing games. They're doing activities. They're making this enjoyable. And the kids are catching on because that's what kids do. Anyone who's had a little kid knows little kids learn whatever they're exposed to. If we expose them to screens and TV, they learn screens and TV. If we expose them to reading, they learn reading. Like it's, it's not that complicated. So that's the biggest thing that I do is, is I try and help people regardless of the kid's age. Just figure out ways to make it fun and empowering and, and take advantage of how quickly kids are able to learn. Well, for anyone who's been listening to the show for a while, they've, they've heard me drop this on any occasion to where I'm talking with the teacher. Of course, this always hits close to home because my wife also taught kindergarten and first grade uh, for several years. So I, I'm really interested in digging down into the business side of things. What was the driver or when was the moment that you realized that what you're doing now was something that you wanted to do full time as opposed to keeping the teaching gig? Or maybe you still are a teacher. I guess first lay out the landscape for us in terms of what you're doing today? I quit teaching in 2018 after we had my son. So I was a teacher for six years. I thought I was going to be a teacher for life. If you talk to me at that point, I was fired up. I was on a mission. I wanted to win Texas Teacher of the Year. After that, I wanted to be National Teacher of the Year. I had all these goals. I was going to teach forever, teach my kids' kids. And then when, when I had my son... I realized I wasn't going to be able to be the kind of teacher I wanted to be and the kind of daddy I wanted to be. So one of them had to give. And so I left teaching to take a job I could do from home and be more comfortable. And that wasn't toddlers can read. I was the director at an educational nonprofit where we did professional development for teachers. That's some people's thing. They're like, I love working with, with teachers. My thing is like, I love working with kids and with families. That's what I love. So that entire time there, I was, I was doing that job to have more time with my son, to have more income, to have time at home. But as he grew older, he turned two and then he turned three and we're kind of out of the baby stage. I'm like, okay, it's time to, to do something I love. And at the same time, it was mid pandemic where you've got just literally people dying, people disappearing. We, we, we have all this sadness and all this tragedy. I, I, you know, Kobe Bryant died in, in a plane crash around that same time. And he was a big, a big hero for me growing up and, and his daughter. And, you know, not to make it sound dramatic, but there's this moment I think all of us need to deal with that says, is this the thing I want to be doing my whole life? Or is it this thing over here? Is it this other thing? And the decision that I made was I'm not going to keep doing a job that I don't love because it makes a lot of money. Like 
that served its season when my son was a baby. And then I had to get past that. And I did a lot of meditation, a lot of reflection. Every day was a little bit of time. What's my vision for my future? What do I want to be true? And one day while meditating, literally the fully formed idea, toddlers can read, just popped in my head. It was the name. It was the idea. It was the business model. There's so many courses for toddler parents that exist. There's courses on every topic and people buy them up. I'm like, how do I teach my kid how to eat? We bought that. How to teach my kid how to behave? How do I teach motor skills? How to teach speech? There's nothing on reading. And I'd spent all the time teaching my son how to read. I knew it was possible. I knew I could teach it and break it down for families. And that day I decided this is going to be the thing that I do with, honestly, the rest of my life. So at that point in time, I know there's different philosophies on this and maybe uh, uh, not even a right answer to this, but uh, did you start a side hustle? Did you go cold turkey on the position? How did you approach taking this on um, as a true business? I went full-time effort and energy, even though it was my part-time thing. I never called it a side hustle or a side job or a second job. I knew toddlers can read was the thing. And I knew it was what I was going to leave my main job to do. I just hadn't built the stuff yet. So my time after work was toddlers can read. My time on the weekends was toddlers can read. That February, I had the idea by June, I had pre-sold to 30 to 35 people. So I had the first people going through and we're demoing, um, Beginning of June was when I made my Instagram page for the first time. And I was just waiting, you know, for toddlers can read money to equal my full-time money. I had a six-figure salary. So I was like, okay, like this has to even out before I jump. And so I'm giving all this effort and all this energy. And this isn't everyone's approach, but I I deeply believe in it, that you've got to make a commitment. You've got to take a step. I do believe in, in burning bridges and going for the thing that you want. I think it increases your chance to get it. And I think it helps you live with yourself and say, I gave this my all. And in November of 2021, I had a choice to make again, which is, am I going to keep waiting for toddlers can read to hit where I think it can hit before leaving my job? Or do I leave my job and accelerate this? So November, 2021, I quit my job that month, the following month of of December, I made $4,000, but spent five and a half thousand. So we did a, a negative, a negative 1500 month one, which was not encouraging for that to be our only salary. But, um, when you burn the bridge, when you go all in, you've got no option, but to make it work. And as we'll talk about, a big part of that was learning social media and having no experience, no background, no idea how to make content. But I just knew that's where my following was. That's where my audience was. That's where the sales were. That's where the parents are to be able to help and impact them. So as soon as I burnt that bridge in November, it was all right. We, we got two or three months to make this business work uh, before we lose the house. So let's figure out how to do all this stuff and let's get this business moving. Well, I think that really segues perfectly into the, the playbook that we'll be talking about today on building your audience uh, on social media. So uh, instead of, since we've already laid that one out there, um, you've kind of laid the, the, the path up until the point where we actually talk about like you've actually became really successful at this. So, uh, just give our listeners just a brief on why you feel or why, why they should actually listen to you on this topic. 
Of course. And I'll, I'll preface for the listeners. I'm going to be super, super blunt and very, very honest. Social media is a brutal world. And I think a lot of people giving advice are worried about like the recipient's feelings and like how it feels and, and, and what's easy. And that sort of advice doesn't help anybody. It makes you feel better in the moment. It makes you feel good about your content, but then you're back in the daily battle of trying to get likes and engagement. And that, and that really hurts. And I think a lot of people are getting bad advice that makes them feel good. But then every day they're sitting with this account that's not growing with this, with this business that isn't flourishing. And that feels much, much worse. So I'd rather be really honest and upfront with someone with like the tough truth of social media that's going to actually help them reach their goals for them and for their family and for their audience than to try and sugarcoat anything. So I just, I just want to preface with that. Big preface. Yeah, I, I think that's great. That's exactly, I think, the type of information that we want, that our listeners want. And I know me, I personally want. Um, and just just for what it's worth, um, I'm in the process of doing this myself, creating a business on Kajabi in the very, very early stages of building a social following to hopefully someday sell to. Nothing to sell at this point. Um, so maybe like at this point in time, like you can almost use me as like your, your protege, if you will, to help me break this down in terms of where I should start, what I should do to start building that audience. Um, do I particular pick a particular channel or where, where do I, where do we, where do we get this started? Of course. Well, to answer your, your first question about credibility, I, I think the brief answer is I've been doing social media for a little bit over two years a little bit over two years. In that time, this is without advertising, without buying followers, over a million followers on Instagram, 900,000 on TikTok, 500,000 on YouTube, and 400,000 on Facebook. So we're almost at 3 million. We, we may be at 3 million now, I'm not sure. Almost 3 million in two years and many platforms less. Facebook, that's less than a year. YouTube, that's just about a year. Uh, TikTok, that's right under two years. Instagram, that's like two years, four months. So we built a massive following and it's just snowballing. We're getting a couple thousand followers a day. So at this point next year, we won't be talking about three, three million. We talk about six million, right? The year after we were talking about 10 million. So the accounts are growing really, really quickly. Um, how you should get started and kind of how you should approach this. I think the number one thing to realize is that accounts don't grow randomly they grow based on your content. That's it. It is your content, the quality of your content. Now, a lot of people like to think the algorithm always changes. The algorithm's tough. It, it pushes these people stuff up and not this person. And it's a lot of excuses. The algorithm is fair. At the end of the day, it is very, very fair. The platforms are incentivized to keep people on them. So your priority, number one, is to keep people on the platform by any means necessary. You have to make content that people watch. And I have a spreadsheet with TikTok data because if you look at platforms, Instagram gives some data, YouTube gives some data, but TikTok gives an incredible amount of data. They will tell you how many people are watching at every second of a video. They'll tell you how many followers you gained from a video or the average watch time or what seconds people are dropping off at. So if you really want to grow, you can post on TikTok and you can look at the analytics for every second of every video you post and see what's happening in those low performing videos and what's happening in those high performing videos. What you'll find every single time, 
the most important thing is the number of seconds people are watching your video. And I think if the listeners took away just one thing from the whole thing, it, w- it would be that. You would be light years ahead. How many seconds can you keep someone watching? If I can keep someone watching after one second, if I can keep 89% of people watching, after two seconds, 82%, after three seconds, 78%, that video has a really, really good chance of going viral. If I saw those three numbers, one second, two second, three second, without knowing the likes, the comments, the shares, nothing else, just those second markers, I could tell you that's probably a viral video. So we have to think about our content. And the first part of our content is how engaging it is. So is this something that keeps people watching, that keeps them entertained? If it is, the algorithm or the platform pushes it out further to more people. If it's not, then that thing gets stifled. It dies and it it doesn't show it to anyone else because it's not keeping people watching. And then the second part of the content is really the value. So we have the entertainment to keep them watching and then the value that we provide. And if something is valuable, not only will people watch it and it hits more people, they're going to click through to your profile. They're going to look at your other videos. They're going to get a sense of what you're about and they're going to determine whether or not to follow. And if we can nail entertaining content with high value to the viewer, to the audience, then we're already multiple steps ahead of where I think most content is, which is people who are saying, okay, how do I put out a bunch of information? How do I tell people everything I know? And people don't want that. They're not going to watch it. The platform won't share it. Or people who say, how do I share a ton of stuff about me? Let me introduce myself. Let me talk about my product. People don't want that. They're not going to watch it. It's going to die, right? How do we think of content? Not about us, what we want, not about just information, but how do we entertain and how do we inform? And if we can mix those two things together, entertainment and then informing and teaching, that is how we get to content that spreads out. And I think the following comes from there. Yeah, I, I love how you broke that down into it's almost like how I think about, um, you know, here at Kajabi, when we're, we're trying to solve a problem for our customers, like when, in terms of what features we develop, we have to really put ourselves in the mindsets of the customers. And you kind of did that, you know, for the platforms that you're performing on, like what's going to motivate them to actually put your content front and center, uh, in front of the, the viewers that are ultimately going to um, consume this and grow your following. One thing that uh, did did stand out to me um, is how does that also apply, in in your opinion, to written content? So say for things like on Twitter or even LinkedIn, uh, how how does the algorithm play a role in that in terms of content quality? Right. I don't know Twitter and LinkedIn as well. I could make something up, but I don't want to speak to them because I don't have this expertise. I can speak to speak to written content on Instagram. So the way that you see this is a carousel post, which just means it's multiple slides in a row that someone swipes through. It's typically word heavy. Sometimes you can have images that people swipe through. Like a celebrity might have a carousel of images of themselves and people watch it because they're like the celebrity, right? In terms of most of us with, with businesses, carousels are text heavy and it's the same thing. We're thinking of how many seconds can we keep that person's finger or thumb on that post. And that's all about hooking. So you, you look at that first slide and you think, how can I get someone to swipe to the next one? You look at the next one, how can I get them to swipe? So cliffhangers 
are good here being provocative is good here, but you can think about the same topic. Let's say the topic is how to teach your kid vowel sounds. That topic in and of itself is not interesting or boring to parents. It's indifferent. Nobody cares. This is what I want people to hear. If you're listening to this and you have social media, nobody cares about your content. Like zero at all. No one cares. They care zero. They only care about the delivery. So I can have a carousel hit a million people on the vowel sounds. I can have it hit zero people. It's about the delivery, how I package that up. So one way to package it would be uh, five steps to teach your kid vowel sounds. On a scale from one to 10, that's like a three. That's just like straight info. And I'm going to get someone who's like, oh, what are the five steps to teach my kid vowel sounds, right? Or I could call it vowel sounds. Vowel sounds is even worse. That's like a one. That's just like a title of the thing. No one cares. They're going to see vowel sounds and keep swiping this thing more interesting. Or I could say, does your child know these vowel sounds? That's maybe like a five. We're, we're, we're getting there because we're using the word you or your, which is really important. I'm calling them in. And now there's some kind of wondering, okay, does my kid know these vowel sounds? That's like a five. Or I could keep running and I could say, parents, if your child doesn't know these five vowel sounds, something, 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 or just dot, 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 right? Now I'm creeping up towards seven or eight. And you could see how spending 30 minutes to an hour wordsmithing that first slide of the carousel can 5x, 10x your return because now it's no longer just this topic, but it's something people want to swipe and they want to move through and they want to find out. And if you can take that same strategy and apply it to slides two, three, four, five, six, finish some slides with a dot, 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 finish some slides with an arrow, or then you might think, and then they've got to swipe to see what they might think. That's, that's how that same strategy of watch time review time would apply to a text-based platform, right? It's all about keeping the person engaged and on the hook. We don't want to make up like a, a cliffhanger or a promise we can't deliver on. So it's kind of like when, when YouTube thumbnails were first a thing and, and people would start lying on them and showing stuff that's not even in the video. As soon as people get to the video, they click through to find the thumbnail. It's not there and they leave. That sends a negative feedback loop. So we've got to follow through on our promise. But the bigger promise and the bigger cliffhanger we can have at the beginning, whether it's text or video, the more people will actually watch through and get to the thing that we're delivering on. I tell you, Spencer, you had me when you made it to the five. Like I was already hooked. I wanted to know if my kids could say those vowel sounds. I've got two kids. So uh, just listening to you say it like completely resonates. Well, let's, let's break this down. Uh, I guess to take, take me through the next steps. Once we've got quality down and we've got the hooks, what are some of the next steps that you took to build those followings into the millions of followers? Of course. So. Another important feature here, and I, I won't downplay how hard the quality of content is. It is, it is hard and it's going to be trial and it's going to be error. Pro tip is just recording different openings and different hooks and trying in different ways. You can have the same piece of content with five different hooks and you can post one. And if you don't like it, you can delete it and post another one and delete it and post another one. You can look at the analytics, look at the information. TikTok and Instagram give you 
and use that as feedback and say, okay, people dropped off after three seconds. Let's make the first three seconds better. So just one note on content is record it different ways, post it different ways, get creative about how you do it, get creative about the text on the screen, all that sort of stuff. I could talk about that for hours, but that content part is hard. I think as you get good at making the videos and actually getting people hooked and interested, you've got to know what your kind of big buckets of content are. Like what are the themes of things that you're going to deliver on? And it's important. These can't be about you. So for me, you can look on my page and you'll see a bunch of videos, but I've got really clean buckets for it. I've got videos on how to teach letter sounds, videos on how to teach blending, how to teach tricky words, how to teach advanced phonic sounds. I have some videos on toddler behavior and some videos on parent mindset. And if you look across my page, you'll see the vast majority of my content fits really neatly into one of those six buckets. There's something that's getting really clear about what your buckets are, defining them and making sure that they attract to your audience. Sometimes we create buckets based on our own interests and things that we're passionate about, but it's not necessarily serving our audience or our buckets are so broad that it doesn't speak to really anybody or so specific that it speaks to too small of a group. And so we want our buckets as we think through them to be just right so that our audience, whoever the people are that you're interested for growing your business, resonate with those three to five big buckets. And you want to make sure as much of the content as possible fits neatly into one of those things, which means, yes, we will be putting some people off. There are millions of people online who do not like the idea of teaching toddlers how to read. That is a-okay. They don't have to. But if I have a page where I'm trying to appease both sides and, you know, if you want to do this, if you don't want to do this and, and, you know, like no one is being drawn towards me. So I'm really clear. It's how to teach sounds, how to teach words, how to teach tricky words, how to teach advanced sounds, toddler behavior, parent mindset. If you're here for one of those six things, I got you covered. If not, there's other profiles for you. So I think I get being really clear about those big pillars. And as you deliver lots of value on that, right? Like giving freely, I give so much information for free, so much for free. Like my courses are way better, but I give so much for free. That's a really good way to build a following in the community because people are going to support you. They're going to comment. They're going to engage. They're going to message you. They're going to share you with other people. If you're over delivering on entertaining content that's made for them, not for you. And that's aligned to one of three to five major buckets that they can relate to. One of the things that I really kind of locked onto while you were talking was you touched on the subject. It's a fairly popular subject that comes up on this podcast, and that's like niching down versus going broad. Um, and I really loved how you really talked about just meeting in the middle, if you will. One of the things I was curious about is how much of that do you feel um, is important at the very beginning of the journey versus middle of the journey versus there is no end. But like, is it really important to niche down earlier? Is that something that maybe happens later? Do you have a philosophy on that? I think it's important at the beginning of the journey, for sure. And if I can make a comparison here between like how some people approach business and how some people approach social media, it's kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. I just know I want to make money. So let me try and find a business that makes money. 
Like that's not an amazing approach because everybody wants to make money. And if it was easy, everyone would make money. Right. And same thing with, with social media. It's like coming on blindly and saying, I don't know what I want to do. I just want to get followers. So let me look at people with followers and let me copy what they do. And this is where you see all these trends. And the way a lot of people approach content is let me look at this famous person or this big account. Let's see what song are they using? Let me copy the song. What thing are they pointing at a screen? Let me point to the same thing. And, and you, you see millions of accounts doing the same stuff over and over and over again. When you come in with intention, whether to business or with, with, with social media, you say, my intention is to serve this specific person with this specific product, uh, product, you attract those people to you. When you come in with intention to social media and you say, my intention is to make videos on these three to five buckets in this style that aligns to me personally, you attract those people to you. And I, I, I just can't tell you how many people are making content on social media that they hate. I mean, it, it hurts their soul. You'll see them on camera smiling and pointing and dancing to the music because they think they have to. I've, I've never danced on a reel. I don't even dance at weddings. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come on camera and dance. I'm not, I'm not gonna come on camera and smile if I don't feel happy, uh, you know, or, or put on music because it's popular. I'm, I'm gonna come on and I'm gonna keep my, my client, my, my, my family, their kid at the top of my mind is how can I serve you? What do you need? And when you keep that specificity in mind, whether you're niche down in your business or you're just focused on your content, I think that's when you win. And having the fear that you're going to turn some people off is the exact thing that's keeping you from getting people on the hook. If that makes sense. It's a double-edged sword. If, if, if you repel nobody, you attract nobody. So I would say come in very, very clear, right? Not just about your business and your idea, but come in clear, right? About your social media strategy. Pick a plan that works for you. Think about the content that works for you and stick to it regardless of what anyone else is doing. And the only changes you should make should be based on what you are learning about watch time, what you are learning about what people like to watch and see, and you're editing your content based on that. Do I put text on screen at the beginning or do I not? Do I come in with the word parents or do I come in with the word you or do I come in with no words at all? Do I start on an okay or do I just start with parents or do I start with here's how you do I bring my voice up or down, right? Those are the little tweaks that will increase your video's plays, not looking outward, trying to find inspiration from copying someone else. I love that. So, so far, we've talked about just the quality of the content and keeping people on the platforms. We've talked about strong hooks uh, to keep people moving through content, especially if it's text. We've talked about trial and error, making sure that we're taking in that data and using that data to inform how we ultimately adapt to uh, our audience. And so tell me a little bit more about, I guess, the like once we've got a start to this, and I'm just thinking about this through the lens of me, I- I'm posting somewhat regularly, I'm trying and testing different hooks, looking at some of that data. What are some of the things that I need to be watching out for after that? Or what's my next step? Assuming we've, we've got those pieces down, we've got some engagement, some people coming through. I think it's about the funnel and how we are kind of nurturing and, and pushing people towards the thing we ultimately want them to see, which is our paid product. Whether or not people buy or don't buy, the vast majority of people are not going to be able to buy. Many can't afford, right? That's okay. We still serve people to our best capacity, giving them things for free. But we think about how to support them 
towards seeing what else we have to offer. And there's a couple of places we can do this. If we're thinking about Instagram specifically, we have our LinkedIn bio where we have ideally like a nice, clean, zoomed in, brightly lit, colorful headshot. We have a really clear description of who we are, what we do, who we help. We have a link that folks who are familiar with Kajabi will be familiar with funnels, right? But that pushes them towards a couple specific actions. Majority of links in bio I see are too many things. It's not a funnel. It's an open-ended maze through a bunch of resources. Check out my podcast. Check out my TikTok. Check out my webinar. Check out this freebie. Check out this thing. And we want to narrow people's decisions to say, if someone saw our Instagram video and it was so good, they happened to click our link. Let's give them just a couple places that, 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 that they can go from there to learn more. And let's make every one of those places somewhere that we want them to go. So the bio, we've got DMs, answering people's questions, providing value. And all of us have to make a decision as to how much we're willing to give for free versus how much we want to push those people in the DMs towards our product. At, at Toddlers Can Read, we've gone, I think, above and beyond giving for free. We have supported people in DMs to the point where we can't even fully do it anymore because it's hundreds of people a day. But we're kind of helping and fostering people there. And when it comes up, we'll push them towards our webinar where they can get more support. And then there's our stories, which is a really great place to share personal information. And this is where you kind of start to build fans and people who are invested in you and your life is just sharing personal stuff to the best of your interest and capacity. I don't share a ton personally because I try to keep the lines clear between Spencer and toddlers can read, but I will let people in on some of the behind the scenes, just keeping my family out of it. And stories are also a great place to share and to sell what they have off of social media. To share testimonials and stories and images of your products and links and that sort of thing. So as the content increases, so will the views on your bio, so will the views on your story, and so will your DMs. Each of those three places are places to kind of foster the relationship and push people off the platform towards the thing that we want. And I imagine it's the same on TikTok and on YouTube. You've just got kind of different functionality there to kind of get people where you want them to go. Well, uh, Spencer, you've taken us from the quality of the content through to that product focus. And I think that really just segues us well into my next question for you. And that's where in the journey for you did you ultimately realize the need for an online platform? Did you start with audience building first or did you have a a course planned out the gate? Um, Tell us more about that. We knew we were going to have a course immediately. Am I allowed to name platforms on this yeah, podcast? Yeah, do it. I also knew coming into the business, we were going to do a lot of trial and error. And I just wanted to get in motion. Something Brendan Bouchard talks about all the time. It's just like, get in motion, stay active. And so right off the bat, we joined Thinkific because we thought that was going to be like a great platform for us. But also we weren't like marrying it. We just knew like, let's just try it, get it up. So I, I ran my trial on Thinkific. And what I expected out of those 30 to 35 families was all this data from, oh, they watched this and they had this questions and they're wondering this thing. So let me remake the course according to these misunderstandings. I'm thinking they're a very analytical teacher brain. I wasn't good at content yet. I just I just was thinking, oh, I, I know how to teach. Let me see if these adults understand what I'm teaching. What we realized from the Thinkific trial is most people don't do online courses. There wasn't a lot of data for me to 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 pull from. I was like, oh, most people didn't do this. 
And as we're reflecting on round two, our priority became what is going to be the most engaging platform? Like what is going to be the thing that has the best user interface, the best experience, the easiest to use? And Kajabi was the clear choice. To me, at that point, I think it was more expensive. I don't know what the prices are now, but to me, it's irrelevant because my goal was to deliver the best product. And I started buying other people's courses that were hosted on Kajabi, using them as the user, kind of comparing back and forth. And it was just so smooth and still is. Uh, People could do it from the mobile app. So we knew we needed a platform right away. We didn't know what it was going to be. We did trial and error. And we've been on Kajabi the last two years now. And it's been nothing but positive experience, positive feedback from people who actually use and interact with the course itself, which to me, like that's my main product. That's the thing. We have other products, but the courses is the biggest thing. So whoever has got the best course software to me personally, like that's the winner. That's what we choose. I love to hear it. Um, always exciting to learn more about that. Uh, let's just take it back to just the business mindset um, for someone, whether it's thinking of yourself maybe a few years ago when you were just getting started, or maybe just someone like me who, you know, I've mentioned that I'm just getting started out. What advice do you have for someone who's either considering starting an online business or anything that you would do differently if you were looking back on your journey today? Yeah, my advice for you, Jared, is is, is terrible. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think people want my advice, but I want it. My advice is go all in. It's it, it's 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 go all in. You know, whether that's a full time thing with full time energy and full time effort, or a part time thing with full time energy and full time effort and full time engagement. I think we're in a culture that's just scared. Like everybody's scared to commit. Everybody's scared to go for something. People are scared to fail. And when you're scared of everything, you're scared to live. You know, like I had to face myself and say, if this business fails, what will we have? And it's true. Like my son would have lost his school and our house and the cars, right? I mean, financially, there was no backup plan. And I, I can look at it like maybe I'd be embarrassed. I, I'd be embarrassed to have quit a good paying job and a comfy life to say, I'm going to start this business and to be confident and then to have to go back and say, you know what, my business failed. But honestly, I I thought about that reality and I was like, the only way I fail is if I don't go all in. If I go all in, when in my life have I gone all in and failed? Never. Like, like, like when have I ever fully committed? And even if I did, if I fully committed and the business failed and it crumbled, could I look at myself and, and be proud? And I say, yeah, I'm, I'm proud because I took a step that most people are scared to take. And I showed my son that you can fight for something, you can miss it, and you can still pick yourself back up and keep trying. So I think for the listener, my honest advice, like life is scary. Very few things are certain and are, are guaranteed. A lot of people are going to think that you've got a bad idea and you might, but you're never going to know unless you try, you go all in, you take a bet on yourself. You surround yourself with people who are going to encourage your dream, support you. I've got an amazing wife who supported me. I've got an amazing team now that I've hired who are supporting me. I'm supporting them. You got to go for it because life is really, really short. Someday, someday, very, very soon, we're all going to die. And what legacy have we left for our kids if we can't say that we tried? You know, what legacy have we left the people who would benefit from our product? You know, the millions and millions of families 
who look to me for advice for their kid. Like what legacy would I leave to them if I half-assed this or I didn't go all in? You know, like that's not, that's not an option to me. So I think as soon as you know that the thing that you're doing is something you're passionate about, it's something you are good at. And it's something that can have legs, like financially it can work. Like, let's go for it. Let's do it, Jared. You know? Heck yeah. That's my advice. <laughs> well, I don't think you could have put it more eloquently. And I, I just, I love your take on, I love the how you initially put it of like full-time effort as a part-time gig. Uh, I think that's a great starting point for someone who wants to really pursue something. It really showcases the amount of effort that needs to go in in order to get something off the ground. There certainly aren't very many, if any, things that you can do with two minutes a day. Uh, you know, nobody's going to pop up a few social posts and suddenly have a thriving business. Um, right. So I love how you put that. Um, well, take us through a little bit about like what's coming up for you. Um, I'd love to hear if you have any like new products out on the horizon or anything exciting in motion. Of course, we have so many things coming up. It's exciting. It's not scary. That's the wrong word, but there's just, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to think about and a lot to manage and we're trying to keep it focused. Sure. And I think you learn, you know, I'm still early in, in this journey. We're less than three years in at this point. So I'm still in kind of my baby phases. But at the beginning, I'm like, hey, once I have the course done, then things will be under control. And then the course is done and there's even more to do. Once I have this following, then it's under control. Then you have the following, there's even more to do. And now it's like, there's more than ever to do. And where we're at, at, at a business is largely because of the learning I've done on social media every day messaging parents, talking to parents. I feel like I've got a really strong pulse on what people want, what they need, what questions they have. And to me, the future of Toddlers Can Read is becoming a program, not a course. Right now we are courses. Courses feel a little stiff, a little educational, a little checklisty. Programs feel a little bit more supportive and nurturing. And to me, the distinction I'm drawing is like a program has components. So one component is the digital videos. Another component is the flashcards and the books and the whiteboard and the market and the certificate to give your kid when they finish and the clipboard and all that sort of stuff. So the future of toddlers can read is you buy a program. And then a couple of days later at your door, you get a beautiful branded box with all of our stuff in it. And it gives you that kind of extra motivation and kick and support to say, okay, let's do it. I've got everything I need. I've got no excuses. I've got the certificate. My kid's going to get it on this date. Let me watch these videos and let me get to work. So far we have flashcards that we've always sold. They're awesome. We have books that we just launched last week. We started pre-selling them. And so the books are somewhere in the port of Houston on the way to the warehouse and we're going to have whiteboards, markers, erasers, more books, organizers, certificates, course handouts printed, all that good stuff. And that's one big shift we're making. Other shifts we're making are international expansion. So 60% of my audience is outside the US. We have different economies, different currencies, different needs. And when 60% of the audience like when you, the number you're talking about is 3 million, 
I mean, that's a lot of people that you're not currently able to ship to at a reasonable rate or able to reach necessarily. And so I want to make sure that I'm able to support people in other countries with accessible resources that they can afford and they can use and they can print and they can implement. And like biggest picture goal, you know, down the line, three to five years from now, because that's about as far as we can think right now, is supporting adults who can't read. And this is, you know, the number one demographic outside of toddler parents that messages us. My team and I is adults who can't read. And it's, I'll just say it is, it is sad. It's, it's frustrating. It's disappointing, but it's not surprising when adults send an account called toddlers can read a message asking, can you help me learn to read? Millions and millions of adults in, in America, millions of them cannot read are functionally illiterate. They're your friends. They're your colleagues. In some cases, they're your wives or your husbands. Um, some of these people have kept it secret. They, they've learned to memorize certain words. They go to restaurants and they wait for someone else to order before they order. I mean, it's, it's very sad. They pre-read children's books to try and not mess up in front of their kid. I mean, just a, a, a tremendous, n- not market, it, it, it's, it's a, a tremendous opportunity for real impact. And so we have our structure away from, you know, I teach the parent to teach the kid to a direct teaching to the adult model where they can take it on their own time. No one has to know. And we can have a generation of people that were failed by something, failed by the system, failed by the economy. I don't know who did, but it's not their fault, right? It's just just an entire generation of people who are failed by something, give them an opportunity to succeed and to learn this on their own and to feel confident in supporting their kids. So products, international expansion, and adults can read. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of opportunity with a lot of purpose behind it too. So for anyone who's listening, uh, where should we send them if they're interested in finding out a little bit more about you, following along on your journey? If you want like the best information, go to my website. It is toddlersread.com. Not toddlers can read for many reasons, but toddlersread.com and just watch the free training. It's 30 minutes. And the people listening to this podcast will probably be familiar with like a webinar funnel. It is a webinar funnel, but unlike most webinar funnels, it's actually valuable. Like everything that I give is of value. And, and I've got the parent who can't afford my courses in mind to say the first 25 minutes, you're getting just value. Just value. The last five minutes, I'll show you my paid stuff if you want to get it. But if you're watching from the lens of like a parent wants to support your kid, go to the free training. If you're watching from the lens of like a business owner trying to get some tips, like that free training is a, is a pretty good funnel to go into as well. You can also go to my Instagram page and just check out the content. Instagram and TikTok both have very similar content. And, you know, for folks who this probably will appeal to a, cer- a certain set of people who like want more advice on social media, I'm, I'm always open to like have a quick conversation and to give like a pointer or two so they can just DM me. And I'm happy to respond. Um, I get a lot of DMs from other course creators about Instagram. And I'm, I, I just love talking about it. So happy to talk about it more. There's so many layers and levels to it. So like, I will answer DMs as well. But those would be the places to look at. Either the website training, 
my TikTok and Instagram, or if you want to talk to me, just send me a DM. Well, we will, of course, have that information available in our show notes. And I can absolutely tell just from this brief conversation we've had today that there's going to be a ton of value in whatever you offer, just based upon all of what you've shared today. So with that, I just want to say thank you to you, Spencer, for taking the time to share more of your journey and share some of those tips and tactics. Really appreciate you coming in. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate it. Best of luck with your business. And I think to the listener, best of luck to you too. This journey is is tough. The road sometimes is dark and we can only see a couple steps in front of us. But if you trust the path and you you trust yourself, you will get there. I couldn't put it any better than that. Um, So with that said, that's all we have for our listeners this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will look forward to seeing you next week on our next episode.